Well, would you join me um, in the book of Isaiah? Isaiah chapter 43. And that'll be our text for today. You know, as I was asked to teach today, I, I thought, you know, how awesome. I get to teach the very last day of the year. And what are we about to move into? We're about to move into a brand new year. And so as I'm thinking about that, I'm like trying to get used to these glasses because I have no more excuse. It used to be, you know, this font was so small. You know, the kids during the internship, you know, they were asking me, I'd forget my glasses. Where's your glasses? Oh, that's right. Anyway, uh, but we're going to do the best we can. I don't like them, but, you know, we got to deal with it, right? As I'm thinking about the teaching today, what came into my mind was, you know, it's a new year coming up. It's New Year's. And so with New Year's, we're always thinking about, you know, new things like newness, like new beginnings, uh, maybe a new direction in life, um, uh, a new place, a new job, all, all the things of newness, like what's going to happen this year? What has happened this last year? And has that changed our thought processes of what's coming up? I'm not the only one who thinks about, you know, new things and new directions. You know, you might be aware of some little tradition called uh, New Year's resolutions. Be honest, who here has got some ideas for some New Year's resolutions? No? Well, one person, two. Well, I was thinking about this and I thought, you know, it'd be interesting. What are some of the most common New Year's resolutions? So this is what Google says. And you know Google's right on everything, right? You guys know the internet doesn't make mistakes. So what are some of the most common New Year's resolutions? Well, number one, it shows here, and I don't know if these are necessarily in order. Just kind of take it as it comes. Quit smoking. That's a good thing, right? Exercise. I think that actually should be number one. I think most people are like, yeah, I need to start working out, hitting the gym, throw some iron around. You know, start running. That's probably, I think that's number one. That's just me. Lose weight. I think if you are exercising, that's probably going to go hand in hand. You'll start probably losing weight if you're exercising. Uh, see, drink less, eat healthier. I don't know if I'm really into that. I'm just going to be honest. I probably should. I have said no. Listen, this is... This is day four of me not having any carbonated drink. We're talking Diet 7-Up or Red Bulls. That's huge for me, okay? So I'm kind of saying no to stuff. And I've said no to sugar, too, although this morning I was tempted by those fresh donuts back there. And people were trying to tempt me with them. I'm like, Lord, no, just, you, you help me through this. Uh, let's see, get more sleep, spend time with family. That's a big one. Earn more money. We're not into that, right? No travel more, okay? One here just says happiness. That's interesting. Now, what, what else do we have? Improve finances, that's a big one. You know, we're going through hard times with inflation and everything, paying more at the gas pump and groceries, as we all know. Read more. I like that one. Who wants to read more? Yeah. The question is, read what? Yeah, <laughs> that's right. The Bible. Reduce stress, stop procrastinating. That's the, that's the last one. Just some things to think about. Although I will say this, you know, people come up with these resolutions and, and these things. And, you know, you guys who are big, avid gym goers, it's about to get real crowded for a couple months. You know, you're going to go there and be like, what are these cars doing in the parking lot? You're going to want to go work out on your typical stuff, and it's going to be packed and all that. Don't worry. It'll be done by March. That's not me saying it. You know, there's National Quitters Day. When is that? Well, it's the second Friday in January. <laughs> it's dedicated to restarting those resolutions. While some people love the tradition of setting a goal each year, each January 1st, Others argue it's a waste of time since most resolutions fail by mid-March. So if you're going to the gym and it's crowded, don't worry. 
you'll be back to normal by mid-March. So if, you know, they say no one loves a quitter, but unless you're quitting a bad thing, right? So that's when we like that, but don't worry. I don't know, you may be on the whole New Year's resolution thing. Maybe you asked for some amazing piece of workout equipment for Christmas. You know, it works your flactoid. And you're really dedicated. Just make sure that by mid-March, it's not drying laundry in the spare bedroom. Keep after it, okay? Are you in Isaiah? Are you at chapter 43? Did I tell you that? Okay, good. Chapter 43 of Isaiah. You know, thinking about things that are up and coming and new, coming out of a kind of a crazy year, let's say. Maybe you had a great year. I praise the Lord. I hope you did. And maybe you had some real challenges this last year. I think this will be an encouraging teaching for you because it's God's heart. You know, Isaiah is a very interesting book. It's really cool because Isaiah is typically called a miniature Bible. Did you know that? It's called a mini Bible. Why? Well, because just like the Bible has 66 books, Isaiah has 66 chapters. And it's interesting, too, because the first 39 chapters of Isaiah deals with, like, law and, and judgment and those types of things. And at chapter 40, it takes a noticeable difference, and it pivots more towards God's grace and his mercy and as we're going to see today, his love for Israel. Israel is in the news every day, as you guys well know. They're being attacked, and uh, they're under tremendous pressure globally to do what we're asking them to do and what the other countries are asking them to do. They're experiencing uh, great uh, trials and tribulations as a nation right now. But do you know, God is not done with Israel, not even close. And today's passage, we're going to see sort of a glimpse, and we're going to see the inside thoughts and the heart of God towards Israel. But you know what? It's not just towards Israel. It's towards you and me as well. That is extended to even you and to me. We are Gentiles. If you're not Jewish here today, you're a Gentile. That has been extended to you and me. You could literally take when we see Israel or Jacob in our passage today, you could take that word out and you could put your own name there. And think about that as we go through. But just as the first 39 chapters of the book deal with like the judgment and the law and the legal, it takes a pivot and it kind of goes towards God's mercy and his love and grace, and also we see a redeemer. Just like the first 39 books of the Bible is the Old Testament. That's the law, right? We couldn't uphold the law, you and me. We couldn't do it. No matter how hard humanity tried, they would break the law. So God knew this, and that's why God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross, to become that ultimate sacrifice for you and me. That way we could just call upon the name of Jesus to be saved, he would become our savior, and then that would enable us to spend eternity with him in heaven. The rest of the books, the New Testament deals with that, our redeemer, Jesus, and his love for humanity. Yes, the law never went away. It's still a good teacher for us. It, it shows us how much we do need a savior. That's what the law was all about. The schoolmaster showing us, see, you cannot do this on your own. No matter how hard you try, you will fail and you will break this law. That's why you need a savior, you and me. And so that is what's so cool about the book of Isaiah. And there's also, don't let's not forget, my favorite, Bible prophecy. A third of the Bible is Bible prophecy. And there's so much prophecy that happens in Isaiah. And that's what the Lord would say. Look, I am God, there is no other God but, but me, and the way I'm going to prove that is to be able to tell you future events. What other religion can do that? What other uh, religious system or idol worship, whatever, who else can do that? And we'll see in our chapter today that God calls out Israel and says, you're my witnesses to that. 
the miracles that I have performed, the miracles that I have done, you are my witnesses to that. There's no other Savior but me. So let's look at our chapter, uh, our book today, Isaiah chapter 43. Again, this is a great one because it talks about God's love for Israel. And I think there's some really cool things that we'll be able to pull out of this. Chapter 43, verse 1, But now, thus says the Lord, who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. You belong to him. If you have found that time in your life, remember when you recognized that you were a sinner and you knew you needed a savior. However that circumstance came about, that moment the Holy Spirit was working on your heart. And, he, and you asked Jesus into your heart to be your savior and to forgive you of your sins and you have turned away from them, guess what? You belong to him. You are his. And he knows you by name. He calls you by name. But what does it say there? It says, he says, fear not. You see, here's the thing. In the previous chapter, the Lord would tell through Isaiah to the nation of Israel, you're going to go through some tough stuff. You are going to go through some trying uh, persecutions and some trials and tribulations. You know, the Lord would tell us the same thing. We are promised that you and I will go through persecutions. We are promised that we will go through trials in this life. We will. Some of you know that very well. You've been through several. Perhaps you're in one now. And if you don't know that as a young Christian, just realize that's a promise. You know, we love the promises of the Lord, except for the ones that hurt. Lord, why would you have me go through that? Or why would you have me do that? There's a reason. There's a purpose. And the Lord says this in the previous chapter. Look, you're going to go through some very, very trying times. But what does he say here? Fear not. Do you know that is a very comforting statement? The statement, fear not, or do not fear, we'll see that statement throughout the, the Bible 365 times. Did you know that? 365 times you'll see that in some way, fear not, or do not fear. There's one for every day of the year. So as we get ready to go into 2024, just know, well, today, fear not. What are you afraid of? What grips your heart? What are you in fear of? The Lord would say, fear not. The Lord would say, do not be afraid. And that's what he's telling his people here. Fear not, because I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You belong to me, the Lord says. Verse 2, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned nor shall the flame scorch you. Where are my interns? Where are my college kids? This should remind us of something, right? We went through the book of Daniel with the internship, and we had a great time. Turn to Daniel chapter 3. I want to show you something that is really cool. This reminds us of a time when three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, would be thrown into the fiery furnace. Nebuchadnezzar had made this image out of gold, and it was really, really tall, and it could be seen by anywhere in the, in the, in the area of the kingdom. And a decree went out that as this gold image, which represented him and his power and his kingdom, as that went up and stood up, that when the music played, the psaltery, the harp, 
and all of these musical instruments. That whatever time of day, whatever was going on, when those instruments began to play and the people heard the music, they were to drop what they were doing and face that image and bow down and worship it. And so that was a decree from the king. That was to happen. But three young men said, "Mm, no, that doesn't work for us because we don't worship false gods. Remember, that's why Israel was in captivity in the first place. Well, it was one of the reasons. But because of their idolatry, they kept falling and becoming prone to this idolatry thing. And the Lord says, you know what? I'm going to cure you of it. And we're going to send you to Babylon, and you're going to be in captivity. And so these three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and again, Abednego, by the way, special note, where's our star of the book? Daniel. He's not mentioned in this chapter. Very interesting. You know, he was in a prominent place in the kingdom. Some believe that he was off perhaps doing the king's work uh, as an ambassador somewhere out of the country, out of the area. But he's not mentioned here. The three friends of his, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're the ones, they're the star of this chapter. And, of course, those are the names given to them, the Babylonian names. But these three says, no, I'm not going to do that. And so you know, the, the scribes and all the astrologers and, and those guys, they, they saw this, of course. The music would play it, and everyone's bowing down and worshiping the image, but these three. So, of course, news went right back to Nebuchadnezzar and says, these guys, they are defying you. Your decree that went out, they don't, they don't obey you. They don't bow down and worship the image uh, as you have declared and as you have decreed. Well, old Nebi got furious bring him here. So they do. They bring him here, and these three men are standing before the king. Now, literally, remember this. This is a cute little story we have in Sunday school. But in that day, they were quite literally putting their own lives on the line. And the threat of that was very real. The threat of their lives being taken from them was extremely real, and they knew what they were doing. But you know what? They said, you know what? We worship the one true God. Nebuchadnezzar said, listen, I'm going to give you another chance. I'm going to have these guys start playing some music. Maybe there's a misunderstanding. And when they play their music, if you bow down and worship, we'll just erase this whole misunderstanding and everything's fine. Okay? And they said, well, no, that's not going to work for us. No. Because we will not bow down and worship a false god. We worship the one true God. And if he chooses to deliver us from the flame, then he will. But even if he doesn't, we will not bow down and worship your false image. Wow! Where's that kind of tenacity in Christian lives today? That's, they just laid it on the line. Chapter 3 of Daniel, we'll pick it up in verse 14. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, that you do not serve my God or worship the gold image which I have set up? Now, if you're ready at the time, you hear the sound of the music, the flute, the harp, lyre, psaltery, symphony, all kinds of music, and you fall down and worship the image that I have made. Good! We'll just erase this little misunderstanding. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? You see what he's doing here? He's putting himself at the same level of God. (laughs) What God can deliver you from me? I have the power to take your lives. Look at 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you on this matter. If this is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he'll deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Did this make Nebuchadnezzar happy? No. Verse 19, when Nebuchadnezzar was full of fury and the expression on his face changed towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and he spoke and commanded that they heat the furnace seven times 
more than it usually was heeded. That's what happens when people just go off in their anger. They get past the idea, they get past reaction, uh, rational thought, and they go, they go off and they, they lose ration and, and they heat it up seven times hotter than it normally is in his anger and in his fury. Well, it was already hot enough. They didn't have to do that. It's believed by Bible scholars that this same furnace is what was used to melt the gold down to build the image that was made and erected in the first place. So if it's hot enough to melt gold, I'm sure it's hot enough to melt humans. But in his anger and his fury, seven times hotter. Okay. The king said so. And he commanded certain, verse 20, mighty men of valor. These are the strong soldiers, right? The big guys. They call in the big soldiers. They called them in to bind. Keep that in mind. They called them in to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And cast them into the burning fiery furnace. Then these men who were bound in their coats, their trousers, their turbans, and their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning fiery furnace. What do you think they were thinking when they got to the door of the furnace? Uh-oh. I think they were just like, well, okay, here we go. To have that sort of resolve to stand up to the man, the system, that quite literally was threatening to take their lives if they don't do this one simple thing. But he did, they didn't understand what they were asking. That one simple thing flew in the face of their true God, and they knew that. They have, they've had a nation of a history of giving in to idol worship. And these guys knew better, and they were like, we're not doing that. So if we lose our lives, God's in control. They're at the doorway of that furnace, and they get tossed in. Now look at this. Verse 22. Therefore, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace exceedingly hot, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Hey, those strong guys, those big soldiers, those yoke dudes that walked in and bound them. Yeah, snuffed out. The second the, the furnace was opened, flames came out. They were toast, quite literally. Verse 23, and these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down into the midst of the fire, uh, burning, fiery furnace. But watch this. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished, and he rose in haste and spoke, saying to the, the counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? Well, they answered and said to the king, uh, true, O king. Look, he answered. I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Whew. Oh, they went into the fire. They went into the midst of the fire. See, they weren't delivered, and uh, there was no other way. It was do this or you're going to the furnace. There is no third option. And they went into that furnace, but guess what? The Lord was with them in their midst, and this fire didn't even hurt them. It didn't even touch them. Verse 26, Nebuchadnezzar went to, near the mouth of the burning, fiery furnace and spoke, saying, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God. That's interesting. He's having a little latitude change here. Come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they came from the midst of the fire. They just walk out. This is the same furnace that literally killed the guys for getting too close, throwing them in. And they come walking out. Hey, yeah, what's up, king? Verse 27, of the satraps, administrators, governors, kings, counselors gathered together, and they saw these men on whose bodies the fire had no power. The hair of their head was not even singed, nor were their garments affected and the smell of fire was not on them. These guys didn't even smell like smoke. How cool is that? In Isaiah, it says, when you go through deep waters, I'll be with you. It says, when you go through the midst of the fire, 
I will be with you. What is the one thing that you notice that got burned up? They were bound, but now they were loose. The one thing in that fire that got burned up was their bindings, gone. That should speak to you and I. Are you bound by something that you feel is unsurmountable today? What's binding you? You say, hey, <laughs> I'm in an oppression right now. I'm in a trial right now. I feel like I'm being persecuted. I feel like there's no way out. What is binding you? Are you bound by anger, jealousies, depression? There's a number of things that can bind us because you know what? That's what the enemy wants to do to you and me. The enemy binds you and then he grinds you. Just ask Samson. Samson succumbed to his own flesh, and the Philistines came, and they bound him up. That's what they did. And then they gouged out his eyes, and they made him grind in the grindhouse. It's a tragic story. It did have an ending to it, uh, if you want to call it a good ending, but things could have gone so much different. But that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to bind you up. Are you being bound right now? You know what? Here's the deal. God never said in Isaiah, he doesn't say, I'll deliver you from the deep waters. He doesn't say, I'll deliver you from the fire. He says, when you're in the midst of the waters, they will not overflow and not overcome you. When you're in the midst of the fire, the fire of what? Well, the fire of the oppression that you're feeling right now. That trial, that tribulation Jesus promised we'd go through in our lives, he's got us in there for a reason oh 2023 it was rough <laughs> oh my gosh you might say i was in the fire i'm still in the fire you know what he's doing he's burning that binding off of you whatever it is you fill in the blank only you and him know there's a reason and a purpose the lord allows us to go through these things he's doing a work in you He's doing something new, as we're going to see later in this chapter. And we have to go through these things. If it was all a bed of roses, we wouldn't call on the Lord, would we? Let's be honest. We have troubles and trials, and we're bound up. Maybe we're bound up by several different, several different things. The Lord is using that fire, as we see here. They're loose. They walked out. Fire didn't even touch them. They didn't even smell like smoke. You know, I make a campfire... And I smell smoke for six days. You guys notice, have you ever done that? It's just like, it's in here. It's like, I can't, it, we're home and we're not even around a fire and I still smell smoke. These guys didn't even smell like that. They weren't hurt at all, but their bindings were burned off. How cool. Back to our text. Isaiah. The flame will not scorch you. Verse 3, For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. We celebrated that moments ago. A Savior who would voluntarily come and die on the cross for our sins and provide a way. I gave Egypt for your ransom, Ethiopia and Sheba in your place. Since you were precious in my sight, You've been honored, and I have loved you. Therefore, I give men for you and people for your life. That's how much you mean to me, the Lord would say. Do you, do you feel the heart of the Lord here? You know, this is not just for them. It's for you and me as well. This is how much the Lord loves you. He's your Savior. Verse 5 here we go again, fear not. We've seen that before. We get two in one day today. Maybe it's because it's leap year. Or is that next year? I don't know. I have to look. For I am with you. I will bring your descendants from the east and gather you from the west. I will say to the north, give them up. 
and to the south, do not keep them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. This is talking about the people, his people, for thousands of years being scattered abroad across the, across the whole world. And as they were scattered, that took centuries. But guess what? The Jews always kept their national identity. Over 2,000 years they were scattered, and they always kept their national identity. Isn't that neat? No other civilization's ever done that. They've been broken up and disbanded and scattered, and it just kind of went away off into history, but not the Jew, not Israel. As far back even as 1900, Ethiopian Jews started moving towards the promised land, moving north. Israel wasn't even in existence yet. We know May 14, 1948, Israel became a nation. It was a land which then was called Palestine. You guys know the history. Palestine was never a country. It was a region. But it was a region that, ironically, none of the Arab nations wanted, this dry, barren, old, rocky land. Everyone's like, nah, we don't, we don't really care for that. The Jews were like, we'll take it. We'll take it. But before even that, years prior, Jews were beginning to move. They were beginning to migrate back. And it's been said that when asked, why are you moving there? Why, why are you on the move? Why are you going? You know what they said? They said, we just feel a stirring in our hearts to return to our homeland. Isn't that cool? It's a homeland that was promised all the way back. You can read it yourselves, Genesis chapter 15. Do a study on that. It even gives the boundaries of what God had actually promised Israel. But that's what the Lord says. He goes, someday I'm going to call my sons and daughters home. The north will have to let you go. And from the south, come on up. Come from east and west, come from all. And ha it's happening even today still. The population of Israel is growing. God's not done with them. He's got great things in store for them. Back to our text. Verse 4, since you were precious in my sight, you've been honored. And I have loved you, therefore I give men for you. Fear not, I think we read this, fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your descendants from the east. We did read that. It's worth seeing again. Gathering you from the west. I'll see you from the north. I say to the north, give them up. And to the south, do not keep them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. It's a beautiful writing a beautiful promise. Verse 7, everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. We're created. There is a God and he created you and me. As we like to say, there is a God and I am not him. But I belong to him. I've been created by him, and so have you. Verse 8, bring out the blind people who have eyes and the deaf who have ears. Let all the nations be gathered together and let the people be assembled. Who among them can declare this and show us former things? Let them bring out their witnesses that they may be justified. Or let them hear and say, it is truth. You are my witnesses, says the Lord, and my servant, whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, there was no God formed, nor shall there be after me. Bring out the ones with ears but cannot hear, the ones with eyes but cannot see. He's talking about idol worship. These ones that were 
they were so prone to give in to the pressures of nations surrounding them that they would see the idol worship and they would get caught up in this sort of thing. It was an over and over and over type of consequence that they would fall into. But the funny thing is, is they would carve these gods out of wood or out of stone. They would carve a god out of wood, something that they would use also for shelter or to warm themselves by a fire or maybe cook food on. But here they are, the other piece they would turn into a god. Or stones, they would carve stones into gods that looked like them. No one knows what God looks like, we're made in his image, but they would make a God that would look like themselves out of stone. The same thing that they would use to build a home, perhaps, or that they would use to grind grain. It's crazy that they would use these objects. You know, yeah, they have ears, but they can't hear. Oh, they have eyes, but they can't see. The Lord said, bring them out. Can they tell you the future? Can they tell you future things? Can they perform miracles? The Lord would say, no, they can't. But what he's saying is, look, but you, O Israel, you are my witnesses. You can speak to miracles that I have performed. You know that I am the one and true God. Because you have seen with your eyes, and you have heard with your ears. You're my witnesses. Look at verse 11. I, even I, am the Lord. And besides me, there is no Savior. That settles it, folks. This is a picture of our Redeemer. There is no other Savior. The Lord just said it. And for those in doubt, and well, I don't know, many roads to heaven. Yeah, there are, but only one gets you in, and that's Jesus. He says it right here. I am the only Savior. There is no other name under heaven but by Jesus, amen, that can save men. I am the Savior. There was no other God before me. I have declared, verse 12, and saved. I have proclaimed. And there was no foreign God among you. Therefore, you are my witnesses, says the Lord, that I am God. You know, he says here, before you did get into the false worship of idols, you knew I was your God. You are my witnesses. Indeed, before the day was, I am he. Before the first day, the very first day in creation, before that day, God would say, I am. He was there. And there is no one who can deliver out of my hand. I work, and who will reverse it? What I do and what I set into motion, who can reverse that? Oh, he sets the planets in motion, the stars. Our world is on a rotation. Can we reverse that? No. What God puts into motion and what God does, he's even saying, who can reverse it? You're my witnesses. I am the one and true God because you've seen and you've heard. And you can speak with confidence in that. And so can you and I. Have you seen what the Lord's done in your lives? You can be a witness as well. You're witnesses. I am a witness. I'm a witness because, you know, your, your testimony is one of the most powerful things in sharing the gospel. People think, oh, well, I never went to seminary. Well, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a missionary. How can I go and tell people about the Lord? You tell them your story because your story is your story. It's not to say that your truth is your truth, because I don't want to hear about that. Oh, that's my truth. I don't care about your truth. I want the truth. Amen? I want the truth, and I'm holding it right here, and so are you. God says, I am the one and true only God. I want to hear the truth of how you came to know God. I want to hear your story. I want to hear your testimony, because it's powerful, and it's yours. And only you have it, and only you can tell it the best. 
how you came to know Jesus. Because what you'll find out is when you're sharing with people, you realize, wow, and they realize, wow, I've kind of been in the same situations that you were in, and you came to know the Lord, and now your life seems to be moving in a direction that pleases the Lord. You know, there's an attractiveness about you to the world. Did you know that? The world looks at you, and there's something about you. Don't know what it is. Yeah, we do. The world sees Jesus in you. If you're living a holy life and if you're living for the Lord and you're reading your word and you're, you're singing his songs and you're trying to proclaim the gospel and you're just trying to share and live a righteous life, you know what? The Lord rewards that and he shines through you to the world and they may not know what they're seeing, but they're liking it and they want that too. And the Lord will bless you with opportunities to share that, your story, your testimony, you are witnesses as well. I don't need those anyway. <laughs> Haven't used them once. See, if I put them on, I'll see your faces, and then I'm scared. Right now, you're just a blot. No, I'm, not, I'm just kidding. It's not that bad. I'm not that old yet. Okay. Where'd we leave off? I can't remember anything. No, just kidding. Um, Let's just go to 13. Indeed, before the day was, I am he. Before that first day. No one can reverse what I do. Verse 14, thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, for your sake, I will send to Babylon and bring them all down as fugitives. The Chaldeans, another name for Babylonians, who rejoice in their ships, he says, look, you've seen, you've heard, you know the stories. You've seen me work. Oh, these Babylonians. We kind of mentioned them briefly in, when we were in Daniel chapter 3, but you got to understand and remember that the Babylonians, remember Nebuchadnezzar, he had that dream of the big statue and the different metals or the different precious metals as you work your way down that statue, represented world empires of the future. Well, he was, of course, the head. And what precious metal represented him? Gold. Because there had never been such a powerful empire on the planet as him at that time. Nor was there ever, ever since after him. Because the next precious metal, of course, the Medes and Persians, would be represented by silver. And the metals sort of decreased in value as they went down, meaning that the most powerful and prolific empire was the Babylonians, represented by gold, the best. And there was uh, an air about that kingdom. They had impenetrable walls over 300 feet tall, wide enough to have chariot races on the top. If someone came up to Babylon, they go, mm, yeah, never mind. I'm not going to try that. And they would go a different way. And this gave them pride. And Nebuchadnezzar himself was filled with pride until he was brought down. He brought down very low. For seven years, he turned into an animal man, hair like bird feathers and claws for fingernails and was eating grass like cows. The dew of the air became uh, upon his back. And it was God's way of showing him, hey, you think you're something, don't you? Well, I'm going to show you how much you're not. And so for seven years, he was out there. And then boom, one day his mind came back to him and he realized, oh, wow. And we told the internship, we realized that, you know what, we'll probably see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven because he cried out to the Lord and gave God the glory. How cool is that story? But before that, see this Babylonian empire filled with pride, but what it says here in our text is that, oh, they rejoice in their ships. Oh, they were so proud of their ships, the, the ships that they had. Euphrates River went through the city, under the walls and through the city, and that was their water supply. They could just batten down the hatches and survive forever. Who could overtake this kingdom? If they wanted to, they could escape on these ships that they're so proud of, and they could just make their way down the Euphrates and into the Persian Gulf. 
But you know what's interesting is that that very Euphrates River was their downfall. As we discovered through the study that Darius, the Mede, did one of the most ingenious military actions in all of history, and him and the Persians redirected the Euphrates River, and it dried up. And that's literally how they took the city. They went under the walls on a dry riverbed and took over. And that pride came to fruition, and they were taken over by the Medes and the Persians. The very thing that they had pride in, oh, we've got the Euphrates, we have our ships, and even if someone did try to overtake our walls, we'd just sail away. What does the Lord say? He goes, I'm going to take them down. They'll be like fugitives. Verse 15, and I am the Lord, your holy one, the creator of Israel, your king. Thus says the Lord who makes a way in the sea and a, and a path through the mighty waters, who brings forth the chariot and horse, the army and the power, they shall lie down together, they shall not rise. They are extinguished, they are quenched like a wick. Does that ring a bell? Just as these Babylonians were high and mighty in their power, impenetrable walls, so thick, they had chariot races on top, so high, who could ever overcome them? And even if they did, we'll escape. The Lord says, I will bring you down. These ships that you're so proud of, you won't have a way to float on them. I'll provide a way through the mighty waters as the horse and the chariot. Remember Egypt, as the Israelites were fleeing, they came upon a place where the Red Sea was to their back. They turned around and here comes the Egyptian army. And the Egyptians saw them as just sitting ducks. Could you imagine what they must be thinking? We got delivered out to here to just be slaughtered? Seeing no way out, guess what? The Lord says, I will make a path for you. And he did. Parted, you guys know the story. He parted the Red Sea, and they went across on dry land. Quite literally being delivered. What does it say there? It says, the chariot and the horse, the army and the power, they all shall lay down together. They were extinguished. As the Egyptian army went down and chased them, they said, well, if they can do it, so can we. But guess what? Oops. The Israelites made it across safely, and the Lord said, okay. And all that water came falling down upon the Egyptian army, and they died there that day. God provided a way out. He was the Savior that day. He's saying, you're my witnesses here. You know about these things. You have seen the great works that I have done. Bring out the guys with ears but can't hear, the eyes but can't see, the ones who worship wood and stone. Can they attest to these things? No, but you can. You can attest to the goodness because I am your God. want you to pay close attention to this because we're about to close on some important things. Verse 18. This is what the Lord says. Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Don't remember the former things. Don't consider it. You know, that's what the enemy wants you and I to do. Do you know that? Have you noticed that? The enemy wants you and I to look back on our past mistakes. And he wants to throw accusation. Look how you messed up here. Oh, you really screwed that up, didn't you? Look at that. And he throws it back in our face, and he wants us to look back at the old former things, those past problems, those past mistakes. But what does the Lord say? He says, don't remember those former things. Verse 19, behold, I will do a new thing. What have we talked about today? New things. Oh, I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to read more, do good things. 
new. We're, we're in this thing of new. We want to see new. You know what? The Lord will do a new work in you. Don't look back and don't focus on the old former things. You focus on what I'm going to do because I'm going to do a new work in you. Are you ready for that? I am. Oh, Lord, do a new work in me. The old things have passed away. I want a new work done in me. In Mark chapter 2, the Lord would talk about new wine going into new wineskins. Not old wineskins, because what would happen? If you put new wine in old wineskins, they just expand and they just burst. And the wineskins are no good and the, the wine is spilt and ruined. It's the Lord's way of saying, look, I want to do a new work. Oh, yeah, but my old wine skin, it's just, as no. Because the new work I'm going to do, that won't suffice. It'll just expand and explode and, and be destroyed. I want to do a new work in you. And the Lord would say, would you let me do that? I'm going to be with you when you go through the fire of oppression and the trial. I'm not going to always deliver you from it, but when you go through it, I'll be with you. I want to burn off whatever it is that's binding you today. When you go through the deep waters, don't fear. They're not going to overcome you. I'm going to be with you there. Don't remember the old things. Hey, don't let the enemy get into your headspace and have you looking back at your, your faults. Don't spend time doing that, the Lord says. Don't think about the former things. I want to do a new work in you. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now, now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? In other words, I've already begun. I've already started a new work in you. I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Lamentations 3.23, it says, Great is his faithfulness. His mercies are new every single morning. Just like every single day, we have 365 different times in the Bible when we're told, fear not, do not fear. Not only that, but guess what? On top of that, the Lord would say, I've got new blessings and mercies for you every morning. Oh, I know, but yesterday. Don't think about yesterday. That's the enemy. Yeah, but I really, I know that, but I've washed it away. Look forward. Don't look back. Keep looking forward, the things that I'm doing. Think about this for a second. The Lord is always about the present and the future. The enemy is about your past. Amen? A couple things I want to leave you with. Number one, if you're in the fire right now, let it do its work. Let it burn the binding. You and I are really good about hitting that ejection handle. Oh, man, and I'm out. Oh, I don't want a trial. No, no, I don't like fire. That hurts. I'm out. And we're real good about trying to find ways out, but you know what's going to happen is you're still bound. You never let the fire do its work. You're still bound up by whatever it is you fill in the blank. God knows, you know. Let the fire do its work. And this is hard. Turn with me real quick. Just look back. Go back to Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God does from beginning to end. The New Living Translation says it like this. Yet God has made everything beautiful for its own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. He hasn't planted eternity in animals' hearts. 
eternity is in your heart, there is an afterlife. And I want to be in heaven with the Lord. Eternity is in your heart. But even so, people cannot see the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. We're not able to do that always. You know what? And when you're in that fire, I will tell you this. Sometimes you don't know which way is up. You're just in it. <laughs> what is the plan, Lord? How long, Lord? Let it do its work in its own time, in God's time. He's going to burn off that binding. Chapter, or excuse me, number two. Don't live in the past. Don't relive old mistakes. When the enemy comes to you and tries to take up space in your mind, you say, get on out of here. Get gone. Because I serve the one true God that I'm a witness to his goodness in my life and in my heart. I'm a witness to the goodness that he has done for me. Even though I did not deserve it, he still loved me enough to bless me wholeheartedly. We see that in scripture. Don't go back there. Don't relive those old things. That's the enemy trying to bind you up. Don't let him do it. It's been said before, you can't plow straight lines by looking backwards. You're going to be all over the place. You're probably going to run off a cliff. You've got to look forward. We're looking forward. We're looking for the new work that the Lord wants to do in us. Jeremiah 29, 11, I'll paraphrase loosely. I know the thoughts I have towards you, ones of peace and of a future and of hope. Again, that's loosely paraphrased, but you guys get it. 29.11, Jeremiah, you look that up on your own. Guess what? Here's the thing. I have a future for you. Did he say, oh, yeah, we're going to re-examine your past? No. Remember, God works in the present, and he moves us forward with the work he's doing in us. I have a future for you and a hope. A hope is a great expectation of a future event. We have to have it. To live. Did you know that? Because if we don't have hope, what use is there? We have to have that hope, and God gives that to us. Finally, number three. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. Rejoice in that. Turn with me one last time. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. You guys know it well. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. A new beginning, a new direction. Don't think about the former things because they've passed away. The Lord says, if you are mine, I have something new for you. We're going to go into 2024 with this mentality. Let's get rid of the things that are behind us. That's in the past. Don't let the enemy stir that stuff up in you. Do we all have regrets? Yeah, we can all look back on things in our lives and go, man, wish I could relive that. I'd do things a lot different. Well, they happened. Let them stay there. We're concerned about now. We're occupying the space between our feet. Amen? That's where the Lord has us. We're excited about what the Lord has done in our lives. We are witnesses of those things. And we have a future. The Lord has a future for us, which gives us hope. Go through 2024 not looking at all of the things crashing down around us. That's my problem. I'll be transparent. I look at everything around me and go, oh, my, I get mad about that and frustrated and this. And, I'm always, and it's like, you know what? It's all in God's plan. Everything is falling into place, like the song says. Not falling apart, it's falling into place. And I don't believe that's just a fancy line in a song, even though it is. I believe it to be true. So we rejoice. You're a new creation if you know Christ. And if you don't know Christ as your Savior today, I would say, don't wait. Don't wait. Ask the Lord into your heart. 
you are a sinner, just like we are. But the difference is, is that we've come to terms with that. And we understand, oh, I want to confess my sin and I need forgiveness. I need a savior, which by the way, we were told today, there is no other than Jesus. He will come into your heart and he will change your life and he will give you a new beginning. Your old man, your old woman, your old flesh, that is in the past. He will make you a new creation. Don't wait. If that's on your heart today and the Holy Spirit is working on you in that area, we'd love to talk to you. We'd love to pray with you. There's going to be wonderful saints over here at the foot of the cross that after service you could definitely go and talk to them and talk to me. Some of the brothers here, we'd love to pray for you in that regard. Also, too, what if you are in that fiery oppression? What if you do feel like, ha, I'm in it. How long is this going to last? I don't know which way's up. Perhaps you are bound up by something. I'd love to pray for you for that, too.